0: Welcome to The Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. Hi, hello, we're back today with uh, Stephen. We have a guest who was already on the first series of the podcast, episode 18, if I'm not mistaken. Hi, Beth. How are you, everyone? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Paul.
1: Yes, thank you, Paul.
0: So, uh, Stephen, do you want to give us and the audience a little bit of context of why we invited Beth today? Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about the fundamental challenges of a, the tech CEO in a fast growth environment as being the job is to, to set the vision and make sure everybody understands it, to hire extraordinary people and, and never run out of money. And, uh, you know, venture capital is the fuel of, of many fast growth organizations and fundraising, never running out of money, so fundraising at the right time and raising the right and increasingly large amounts of capital at key life stages is, is critical. And that's why I'm delighted to have Beth here, who, who specializes in working on in this area with a number of our portfolio and, and is one of our Notion experts.
1: Thank you, Stephen, for having me today. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation.
0: Thank you. So maybe Beth, for for those who haven't bad people, we haven't listened to our previous episode with you. Can you also explain who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. Um, I was SVP of Strategy at New Voice Media during a very exciting, massive hyper growth from 2010 to 2015, where we grew from. 32 people in an office in Basingstoke, up to about 450 people with offices in New York, San Francisco, Sydney, Paris, plus Basingstoke. And through that time, we did five fundraisers, so from A through E, and I was very much involved in each of those. I've been working with other startups, as Stephen said, since 2015, and have helped form many pitch decks, fundraising strategies, plans since then. Mostly in the work I've been doing is in the A and B rounds, uh, but with New Voice Media, I went all the way up to E.
0: And I think that ties in really nicely to this conversation and why I love always introducing Beth to our, our portfolio when they're starting to think about what's the fundamental essence of the, of the challenge and how does it change raising money at the startup stage, which we typically think of as the seed in series A through to the, the grow up phase, you know, it might be the series B and series C where you're, you're really trying to prove the fundamental underlying economics and build the, the business through to the scale-up, which is the D&E rounds, where you're really driving very powerful growth on the back of empirical data on unit economics and a highly scaled business. There's very few people out there who have that kind of context. And, Beth, I just wanted to start off by, can you characterize for us the fundamental essence of the fundraising challenge at each of those stages?
1: Absolutely. So I was thinking about this beforehand, and it's such a difference between seed rounds where I think the, the bigger challenge is you have an idea. How do you prove it's a good idea without investing a lot of money? And also, how do you find people? Because you're not hooked into the ecosystem yet, if you're talking really early starters, particularly thinking about, you know, in terms of people who might not have come from the environment to begin with. It's much harder to get into. It's about networks and who you know. And then it's about explaining why you have a fantastic idea and why you're able to execute on that idea, you and ideally your founding team. That's the seed round, really pre-revenue. It gets easier once you have some revenue because then you have something you can prove. You can prove that people actually want to buy your product. They might not want to buy your product at massive scale yet, but you know that there's somebody out there who cares. And that's a lot of the series A. Mostly it's CEOs who've done the sales. Maybe you're starting to hand over to a sales director. Maybe you need some more money to fund that sales director. But you know that there's something you're you're getting the beginning of product market fit, or you might even have fairly strong product market fit, and you're starting to want to have money to figure out what your go to market strategy and engine is. And that's often that next round is taking that money to grow your sales and marketing and to move from the CEO being the person who can sell this product to a product that anyone can sell. Because so often the same traits that mean that a CEO can raise money and seed round is the reason why the CEO is able to sell a product. And now what you need to do is take the CEO out of it and have a product that somebody will buy on its own in and of itself. And then when you move into growth round, ideally, you have the metrics in place, you're able to validate that the CEO could be removed from the business, and you could still sell and market your product. You know that there's an underlying profitability, even if you're not showing that profitability, because you're moving everything, reinvesting everything in growth, but that there's a stable, successful business there. And now you can really massively expand.
0: And I think what's so interesting, and I've seen you do this is you really help people to tap into What is it you're actually trying to do at this stage? You're trying to prove at the beginning that you have an idea that's worth, a problem that's worth solving and that people do want to buy it. The essence of the fundraising proposition is quite different from the second phase and the the third phase. So what, dig into that a little bit, because again, I've seen you do this, you really unfold the kind of different data points that you like people to be sharing at those stages can just kind of talk a little bit about what stays the same, but then what's different through those three life stages?
1: So the first thing that stays the same is the magnitude of the problem you're solving. Even if what you think you're solving in your seed round is no longer what you're solving in your growth round, you still need to know that you're solving a significantly large problem and there's a market for it. That stays throughout because if you're not solving a problem that people are willing to pay for, why are you in business? What changes from seed and to some extent, A, depending on if you're pre or post revenue throughout the rest is revenue. So once you start making money, you need to be able to show that you're making money and show that you're making a lot of money quickly. But to have a seed round where you do massive business models to prove that you can make money when you don't have a product and it's all hypothetical is almost counterproductive. Like, okay, cool. It's great that you can use Excel, but it doesn't actually mean that there's anything there versus coming in and saying, these people have spoken to me. They have a problem. I have come from the industry. I have a problem. I know I need to solve this problem. Another area that changes is, again, as you build your sales team. So in series A, you might have some metrics and you definitely should start looking at if you're investing in marketing, what does your marketing funnel look like? But you might not be investing in marketing yet. It really might just be the founding team who are the salespeople, but you should start to think about how am I going to build a pipeline? How do I build a pipeline? And ideally, if you've started again to create it, you're looking at those conversion rates. When you move into your bigger rounds, you have a sales and marketing engine, it's working, you need to prove it's working. You don't have to kill people with every conversion metric along the line, because that's what you're doing internally, but it's equivalent to what would you report to your board? You know that you're how many leads you're generating a month, how many of those are becoming pipeline, how much pipeline is becoming a customer, whether or not you're keeping your customers. And that's the sales and marketing engine. Then for cost and understanding that you have a profitable business. Again, in series A, not such a problem yet because you're finding your feet. You don't have all of the metrics to know if you're profitable or not. You will understand what your cost to serve is and in theory, what your cost to serve is at scale, but you don't really know the rest of your operating costs and what they're going to look like. Whereas again, in a series B or series C, whatever you want to call that growth round, the bigger round. You should really be also knowing that you have an underlying profitability in your business because growth investors aren't just looking at, can we help this company figure out where they are, how to pivot? They're saying, you're a company that has good product market fit, you're a company that's growing well, and you're a company that has costs under control. You're growing efficiently. You're serving customers efficiently. You're not losing customers efficiently. Therefore, we're going to invest in you so you can massively scale. You don't need to experiment anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great kind of summary of where people need to, to focus. I think sometimes, especially early, people can throw too much data at it. But it's important you've got your, in mind that what well, a later stage investor, which is where you want to get to at some point, is looking at the fact that actually you're, you can build a highly productive organization that has growth on tap and costs under control and becomes increasingly capital efficient. That gets lost a little bit, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think also one of the things that SaaS investors are looking for are people who understand what a machine a SaaS business is. And fundamentally, it's the same machine. And so even if you don't have all of those metrics today or that they're looking particularly good, the fact that you know that you need to record them And you need to be able to show a trend over time instills confidence in an investor that you know how to grow a SaaS business, that you understand what subscription revenue means. And also, it's so much about transactions and it's so much about repeatability that you can test when a company is going well or not way earlier than if you're not looking at recurring revenue. And it's really understanding the fact that you need to look at things in the effects between every single part of the business and track those metrics from early on, that investors will understand that you get what a business is.
0: Yeah, it does surprise me how little that's understood. That actually, what I'm in each round, one way of thinking about this is to say, okay, I'm raising money at the Series A, but in reality, I'm demonstrating a business case. That is going to develop a business that will raise a Series B. So you're always looking, you know, one or two steps ahead. Even if, if you haven't got the data, don't just drag the spreadsheet across, across. Show the fundamental underlying mechanics, and that's that's really important, I think.
1: And I think it's more than just showing it for investors. It's actually running your business with these metrics because this is how you run and grow a good SaaS business is understanding how your business works on a daily basis. And that is what makes a good SaaS company.
0: And that's a great kind of analogy as well for the founder. So you, you shouldn't be putting anything in here that you're not using to run the business because it will show through in you know, clear light of day that, that you don't have this, this information down pat. Now, something else I've seen I've seen you do really well is also help people to see Actually, what really matters? What you know, you've got all of this data and all this information, and as you said, you don't. People throw a lot of information, at an investor, but actually, to help them to distill all of these KPIs and say, do you know what? Those are the three things that are going to be slightly different. How do you help people go through that process? Well, I've seen you do this with with Demist, for example, which is to say, and there's a very, very sim- profoundly simple investment proposition they have now. It says. All the things you talk about are, are absolutely great, but it's the revenue expansion in this business model that's the thing. And if you can understand how to present your land and expand metrics, you will raise a growth brand.
1: Yeah, it is around understanding what is it that's special about your business in your business model. I think a lot of founders get very excited about their product, but after you reach a certain stage, obviously you still need a good product. Don't get me wrong. But investors stop caring so much about the product and care much more about what's that one really cool thing or two really cool things in your business. So it might be that you can land and expand very efficiently. It might be that you have a highly productive sales team. So you only need three people to bring in three million a year. It might be that you have negative churn without having to invest in a customer success business. I mean, these are obviously like hyperboles of reality, but it's an example of the types of things to look at. Um, Another company I was talking to recently has this great network effect. And so by selling to one half of their customers, they automatically get pipeline from the other half. So that's something special. That means that you can grow efficiently. And it's all about how can you get the most revenue for the least amount of money? And what is it about your slight take on SaaS that makes you exciting to look at?
0: I love that. How do you get the most revenue for the least amount of money? And then how do you hold on to the most of that money? Because you've got all your costs under control. I think sometimes we do, we forget that we're trying to build annuity businesses here, you know, with compounding benefits that ultimately will spit off huge amounts of free cash flow.
1: Absolutely. So it's about looking at both sides. I think oftentimes we focus, and in Series A, I think it's completely legitimate to focus on how much revenue, how big a problem it is. But as we grow up and scale up, we need to really make sure that the costs are under control and you're creating a sustainable, profitable business, even if you're not profitable, but the fact that you could be if you weren't reinvesting in growth.
0: So what, what does an ideal deck look like at, let's say, that the Series A versus the Series C versus the Series E in terms of what do you show and what do you, what's above the borderline and what's below? How do we help people to focus on really delivering the least amount of information in an investment discussion, leaving people wanting more, but having all the rest available if it's required?
1: I think there's two ways to answer this question. The first half is, what is the investment deck? What are you doing in these early meetings? What are you trying to accomplish? And very often people walk into this meeting feeling like this is the only meeting you're going to have. It's the entire process and you're going to walk out with a term sheet. And I know they don't really believe that, but kind of inside, that's the feelings. You end up with these investment decks that are half pitch around the business and half due diligence. And really, all you're trying to do in the investment deck is peak interest and create interest in having those follow-on conversations where you dig deeper. So what you're trying to say is, we have a big problem, we have a big market, people are starting to buy what we have, and this is how we're going to spend the money. Oh, and the other one would be also why we're different to our competitors, why we're uniquely in a position to execute on this. When you move into the bigger rounds, you need those elements, but you also need how are we efficient in getting these customers in? So not just, look, we're growing revenue, but how are we growing revenue? What is our CAC or straight on out just cost to acquire? Some sort of ratio to show that when we put money in, we get more money out in sales. And also looking at the cost to serve and what's your your gross margin like. And then it's also, how are you going to use the money? And then when you get to scale, it's the same things. You just have better numbers around it. You have more history. You also have more history around your churn and the fact that it's negative or very low. And then why sometimes you should be expanding into a different geography, a different product. And it's almost like part of the argument of your seed all over again. You come back to those new areas sometimes. Sometimes it's just, look, we have a great business and we're going to go for that it more.
0: It's a really simple kind of philosophy, isn't it? That says that the, the outcome of this meeting is to get the next meeting and the conversation to get the next conversation, because it is a process that you need to go through.
1: It's a sales process. If you read Spin Selling, it's always about, is this a continuation or not? <laughs> and so if you think about your fundraising process as a sales process, going into that meeting with what is the continuation? How am I going to get further along the process? And what's the minimum that I need to do in this meeting for the next meeting? And don't treat it like due diligence because you'll be sharing too much information and you're diluting why you're actually a good company.
0: I get the sense that you and I could talk about this for for most of the day, and I'll I'll keep asking questions. But I think we've got I think we've got some really good stuff in there. What do you think, Paul? I agree. But that's the thing. I was listening to you guys. I was like, we can go with this
1: ball for like at least forty five other minutes because it was
0: nice. It's great. There. Thank you so much. I, I, it's been a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. Look forward to having you back again.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure.